You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Uh, Happy New Year. We are in a series called Next because the new year's here. And we wonder, what's next? So we've been kind of unpacking a book in the Bible that actually tells us what is next. We're wired for movement. And when I say next, over the next several weeks that we're walking through First Peter, next represents what God has for you what God has for us as a church, and what God has for your family. So uh, maybe you're wondering, God, what do you have for me this year? What do you have for me in my life as I step forward in, in, in my life, Lord, in our church, in my family? God, what is next in our life? Well, this is what we're talking about. This month we're going through a letter from a disciple who knew exactly what it meant to ask God what is next. And he was writing to people who actually wanted to know what was next in your life. This disciple was a disciple who stumbled often in his walk with Jesus. He was rebuked more than any other disciple. And he was praised by Jesus more than any other disciple. His name is Peter. And we're going through First Peter. He saw miracles. He saw signs and wonders. And he often asked God, what's next? Well, here's the background of First Peter. We kind of laid it a little bit last week. So here's a little refresher. In First Peter, it was written about the mid to late 60s of A.D., so roughly anywhere between 65 to 67 A.D. Now, why that's important is because it's during a time when there was an emperor whose name was Nero, and Nero was vicious. He was a guy who despised Christians and what they represented. And there was a season of several years where Nero put the word out to slaughter and to kill and to torture every Christian they could find. In fact, they often tortured them and put them into the arenas to have them mauled to death. Well, Christians all over the Roman Empire began to escape or run from the major cities into the small towns in the area. Peter is writing to these people on the run. He's writing to the exiles, to the runners, to the people who have no idea where their life is going next. And First Peter begins to tell us, or Peter in First Peter, his first letter out of two, he begins to tell us what is next for them and for us. Maybe 2013 was great. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was uneventful. Maybe it was extremely difficult. Peter reminds us this is our next. So last week I said there were three things that he laid a foundation for, that what's next. And basically it's the big picture of entire First uh, Peter, and that is, in Jesus, you've been given a new life. And in Jesus, you've been given a new way of living. And in Jesus, you have been given a new way of looking at life. So with those three things in mind, let's pick up where we left off last week. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he says, therefore, he's talking to the exiles, those on the run. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy, envy, slander, and slander of every kind. Basically, put aside the attitudes and selfish actions that bring you down, that hinder you, that trap you, the horizontal effects of life. He says you need to rein in the horizontal because it's going to affect the vertical. It's going to affect your walk with God. He says, but instead, like newborn babies, crave. Everybody say crave. Crave. He says crave pure spiritual milk 
Like a baby needs milk. He says, we need God's word. As a baby craves for the nourishment of milk, we, I hope you are. He said, man, you need to get to a place where you crave God's word. He says, so that by it, you may grow up. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need to grow up. Last week, I told you to say, you need to grow up. Well, it's time that we take ownership of this. He says, I need to grow up. He says, so that you may grow up in your salvation. He says, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. He says, now that you've given your life to Christ, and you know how awesome God is, put off the things that hinder you and start craving what's healthy for you. Maybe you've not grown up because... You're not craving God's word. Now, some of you guys, I'm convinced that most people are six months old their entire Christian life. They give their life to Jesus, and they're like excited for six months. For six months, they're reading the Bible. For six months, they're praying. For six months, man, they're plugging into church. Man, they're thinking about serving and being in small groups. And then six months settles, and they start going back into their old routine, but they just go to church. And they never grow past being a little baby. And the reason might be because we're not growing up because we don't truly experience the power of God's word in our life. So I want you to write this down. Is that to know your next, this is the big thing, is that the next will mess with your now. The the next will mess with your now. To get to the next, you must grow up. You must, you have to. Some of you have been a baby Christian for too long. Some of you have been waiting. The only, some of you, the only time you even look at Scripture is on a screen on Sunday mornings. Some of you right now, you don't know where your Bible is. You're thankful that you have the Bible app on your phone because it makes you feel like at least you got a Bible. But you don't read it. Sometimes you wonder, God, why am I feeling so distant, so far, so alone? Why do I feel like I'm a baby? Because you are. And if you want to go to the next place, it's going to affect the way you are now. And it's going to affect the way you do things now. You can't move forward and stand still. The next will cost you your now. And I remember in 2009, I had the sweetest phone. It was the Google phone, right? It was the, uh, it was the takeoff of the, my, of the uh, iPhone. It was the uh, my phone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It was the Google phone, man, and it was sweet. I had this phone that was the Fender Special, right? I don't know if you have Fender guitars. And basically the case looked like a guitar. It was sweet. And it had this like like fireburst cover and back and front. I was like, oh, man, I don't want to put a case on it because it's a beautiful, beautiful phone. I mean, it's like sweet. And it had, you know, it had, you know, it was a 3G, man. It was killer. Some of you guys are laughing because you're like, that's old technology. But here's what I thought. I mean, I thought, this is the phone to have. Man, I have, man, how could it get any better? Well, iPhone slash or a 4G or 4G LTE, whatever. Here's the point is in order for me to, to move on, to get something better, I had to quickly realize that what I was doing and what I had was completely out of date. And as much as I love something, it was time to let it go. So, like these verses, do you crave spiritual milk? Do you crave what God has for you? Peter goes on, verse 4, he says, As you come to him, the living stone 
called Jesus the living stone. He says, as you've come to Jesus Christ, who is the living stone, he was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Man, you are precious to him. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Here's what he says. I want you to write this down. Is that the next is knowing your next depends on how you start. Now, I've had stones before in service, but I want to, I want to talk about this. This is a different type of, of stone that I have here. I want to talk about Jesus, who is the living stone. Now, what I have here is what's called a a cornerstone or, you know, some translation. We're going to find out that in this passage, Jesus is called the cornerstone. We sing that song. Now, here's the idea of a cornerstone. It has got to be perfectly measured, perfectly straight. It's got to be uh, basically the beginning of a building. And that first stone, the corner stone, that stone that builds a structure in the time that they're referring to is the stone that set the pace for the entire structure. That stone had to be perfectly balanced, perfectly shaped, perfectly shaped, and at a perfect angle or the whole house or the whole structure. Structure would be crooked or unstable if that first stone was not a solid, strong, steady, perfect stone in its place. The more exact, the better that cornerstone, the more solid and strong that structure. And what Peter's about to say, he says, the way that you start matters what's next. We're going to use this reference here in a as we move on to this passage, here's what he says about Jesus. He says, he says, what are you built on? Some of you have got to ask this question. What is your life built on? What is your family built on? What are the habits of your family? The values of your family? What are your Life goals built on. What are your dreams? What are your career ideas or dreams or goals in money or family or relationships? What are your pursuits built on? What are your relationships built on? What do you stand on to grade what kind of person you're going to date? What kind of person you're going to marry? How you're going to raise your kids? or What kind of friendships you're going to keep close to you? What kind of foundation are your spending habits built on anything short of the living stone, the perfect, chiseled, perfect, steady, solid, straight, balanced stone will fail. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, Jesus says there's a story about a guy who built his home on sand. And it seemed good at the time, and it was nice. It was a pretty home. And he says there was another man who built his stone on a solid foundation, the rock. And he says that looked fine until the storms came, until the trials of life come, till tragedy or trials or persecution or just the, the stresses of life and relationships come. He says what happened, Jesus says in Matthew 7, is that the guy who built his life on sand began to shift and fall and fell. But the man who built his life on the solid foundation of Christ, he's referring to himself, he says that person can weather the storm of any issue in life. 
Paul says, I'm sorry, Peter says, he says, you've come to him. You've built, hopefully, your life on a living stone. For he goes on to say, he says, for in Scripture, and now Peter begins to quote three passages out of the Old Testament. He says in Scripture, referring to Isaiah 28, he says, see, I lay a stone Jesus in Zion. By the way, Zion in the Old Testament represents Jerusalem. It represents the city of God. It represented their identity. Man, when they said Zion, they said, man, that's our identity. That defines who we are. In the New Testament, there's a new definition given to the word Zion, and Zion means the kingdom of God. It represents the church of God. And he says, I lay a stone, that's Jesus, in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Now, we just sang that song a few minutes ago, Cornerstone. Jesus, the cornerstone, the first and the primary and the perfect stone, the start, the standard, the one on whom all of my life rests, the cornerstone. I place my trust in him alone. That song speaks about when the storms come, I will stand strong. That regardless of what happens around me, I put my trust and my life in the cornerstone. Paul says he is the precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That means if you give your life to Christ, if you build your life, if you decide, you know what? No more trying to figure out relationships on my own. Jesus, I'm doing it your way. God, no more trying to figure out how to fix my marriage on my own. God, I'm going to do it your way. God, I'm not going to try to figure out my money on my own and spend the way I want. God, I'm going to do it your way. When we do it on Christ, the precious cornerstone, he quotes that verse, the one who trusts in him will never be put To shame, that means you won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. The the sure foundation of Christ when the storms come means our entire life must be built on the cornerstone. Verse 7, now to him who believes, this stone is precious. Some of you, you know what it's like, man. You've given your life to Jesus and you think, man, you know that if it weren't for Christ, you'd be in a gutter someplace or your marriage would be in ruins or your children would be, you know, dead or maybe not in relationship with you. Your parents would be gone. Some of you, you you have had a trial in your life and it weren't for Christ, you'd be depressed and suicidal. And you're like, man, you know, those who believe, it says the stone is precious. My precious. You knew that was coming. You were already thinking it. Here's the deal, man. Man, that guy in, in, in Lord of the Rings, man, he was obsessed with that ring. My precious. You know what? My relationship with Christ is the only thing that keeps me sane when the world seems to be going crazy. And it is precious to me. And if you have ever experienced the grace of God in your life, you know how precious that stone is. He says, but to those who do not believe, and he quotes Psalm 118, he says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. He says, man, to some, it is a cornerstone of a sure foundation and to others, it's a stumbling stone. 
There will be those that reject Christ in this world. There were those that rejected Jesus then to the point that they crucified him. And there were those today still that reject Jesus. But he remains the cornerstone. It says they stumble. Some translations say he's the rock of offense. He says they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. You see, if accepted, that sure foundation is a ready defense, a trust and worthy stronghold in your life, and you will not be disappointed. But if you reject this stumbles, this, this, this Christ and he becomes a stumbling stone, a rock of offense for you, then you will have an unstable life and you will constantly be tripping through life. Turn to your neighbor and say, you be tripping. I had to fit that in. Jesus, the living stone, a cornerstone or a stumbling stone. He goes on, verse 4, he says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. He says, man, you've come to the cornerstone who God has chosen. And guess what? God's chose you. He says, that rock that the whole of creation was built upon and that the church is built on, he says, loves you and you are precious to him. Not only to those that build their life on the foundation, not only is that rock precious to us, but when we understand his love for us, we understand we are precious to him. I want you to write this down. Knowing who you are called to be affects your now and you're next. Some of you can't figure out if you can go to the next place because you're so worried about right now. You're worried about who you are now and what you've done now and, and how you're living now and who you were yesterday and it's affecting your now. We look in the mirror and we think, man, I, I can't do the next thing. I can't do what God's called me to do. I can't go on a mission trip. I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't lead a small group. I can't expose myself and in a group setting. I can't commit myself to a ministry team. I can't. I've got, I'm a nobody. I'm not, I don't have skills. I don't have ability. What about my past? I've made mistakes. My marriage is shaky. My family is in trouble. My grades at school, man, they're, they're crashing. How can I be an example? Man, I don't make enough money. I'm a nobody. And we think, we look in the mirror, we got, I don't know who I am. How can I go to the next? Well, Peter is about to tell us that knowing who we are now, affects our next. What do you think about yourself? What do you think about ourself? Well, what do you think about yourself? It matters. It, it matters whether it's too high or too low. Some of, you, some of you guys, you think so highly of yourself. You're so arrogant and prideful. I can't, I can't help. I can't, I'm, I'm above, I let the people who have no skills do that. And in the meantime, you do nothing. Well, I'm this, or I, I've got, I graduated with this. I have this, but I am, and you, you're so arrogant that you count yourself out from God using you next. And some of you, you look in the mirror and you see yourself so lowly and as a nobody that you count yourself out for the next. Peter unleashes who you are in Christ. And this is where I want to focus our time today on the next couple minutes. And that is, who do you think you are in Christ right now? This is who God says you are. This is who you were meant to be. This is vital because our identity in Christ informs our purpose and conduct. And if you have built your life on the cornerstone, if you've said, Jesus, here's my life, I get off of my throne onto 
uh, your leadership and, and I submit my life to your foundation. When you've said yes to Jesus, this is who you are. If you have not said yes to Jesus, this is who you could be. This is what he says. Look where Peter goes. He says, Jesus is the living stone. And then he says in verse five, he says, you also are like living stones. That's pretty cool. He says, our identity comes from being connected to the one who gives us life. Not from a job. Our identity doesn't come from our career or our family. Our identity does not come from our marriage or if we're in a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Our identity does not come from our education. He says, Jesus is a living stone and therefore you are a living stone. Your identity comes from Jesus. And he says, you are being built into a spiritual house. We are God's scaffolding. And I love this idea here. And I want you to write this down. This is things that we are. Who do you think you are? Well, I know who I am in Christ. I am number one. I'm a living stone being built into a spiritual house. That's the first thing. You are a living stone built or being built into a new temple. Now, I want you to know something. In the time that Peter wrote this, the, the, the dominant religion of Christ followers was either Greek or pagan where they worshiped many gods, but the history of Christ was birthed upon Judaism, which is a religion that's predominantly the Old Testament view of God, and it's a, it's a foundation for the life of Christ. Jesus is the revelation. Oh, the Old Testament is a sign, and Jesus is the arrival but they still worshiped around a location of a temple, a building. And it was in Jerusalem, and it was considered one of the great wonders of the world at the time. It, it was a magnificent building of gold and jewels. It was massive. Herod the Great uh, built the temple into one of the largest known structures at the time on the planet. It was a magnificent site, and it was the place where they believed God showed up on earth. It was the place where people would travel. They would make a a pilgrimage across the country, all over the Roman Empire, all over the the, the Persian Empire, to get to Jerusalem, to stand at the doors of that temple and believe. They believed that God's presence was inside that building. They believed that God met them there, showed up there, and the only people who had access were a select few people. Now, here comes Peter saying, man, but through Christ, you are being built into a new temple. You are someone very precious. He says, you are alive. You're living, life-giving. So many times the church is dead. You know, so many, man, I've known people who skip church for like 20 years, and they go back and they're still singing the same songs, reading the same liturgy doing the same hymns, doing the same standing and sitting. It's like nothing has changed. Why even come back for another 20 more years? I mean, I'm not missing anything. It's dead. It's stale. It's boring. Man, but God calls us a living stone. We're to be alive, alive in action, alive in love. Man, we're, we're meant to be more exciting than football. Come on. And I love sports. I love football. I love to get wild. Man, I shout at my TV when I watch sports. I don't throw things like some of you, but I watch and I make noise. I go, come on. 
And then we get in church and we're like, oh man, that's so offensive. When they get a little loud, I can't believe they're raising their hands. Well, maybe it's because some of us are alive and some of us are dead. We are a living stone being built into a spiritual house, a beacon. By the way, that temple was a beacon, a lighthouse of God. And he says, you are now a beacon. You are a symbol of God on this earth. You, not a building, not a structure, not a monument, but you. Guys, listen, God is not looking for a building to hang out in. He is not looking for brick and mortar. He is looking for a spiritual house. He is not building a church on a foundation that's physical, but he's building a church on a foundation that is spiritual. And the greatest architecture of the greatest church in the world will crumble, but not us. And though this life fades away, the kingdom of God will live forever in the hearts and the lives of the people of God. And I want to tell you something. As a church, we are not looking for something to buy. We're not looking for property to buy. We're not wanting to fit in with all the other churches, 380,000 churches in the United States, so that we could be a legitimate church and have a building. Because I don't think God is looking for a building. He's looking for a people. He is not looking for brick and mortar. He is looking for a spiritual temple. And I want to tell you something. As long as we are living way church, we may move in location, but our emphasis will never be about owning property or building a building. Now, we may, in our future, move because we maybe cannot stay here. I mean, we've been here a long time. Did you know that? This will be seven years this year that we've been here at this theater. We moved in in February 1st of 2006, and we've been here ever since. And they kind of like us here. But tomorrow they could say, ah, we love you, but we'd like this theater back on Sunday mornings. And you know what? They have that right to do that. And that's fine because... Our church is not built on a building, but built on a spiritual building, people. So we want to be ready if that ever happens. So we might look for alternate places to meet. But I want to tell you something. We're never going to pour millions and millions and millions into a mortgage that will never get paid off, that will strap us and hold us down when the kingdom of God is not built on brick and mortar, but on people. And I think this is something that Paul is reminding them. It doesn't matter where you're meeting as long as God is building a house in you. A living, breathing, active, functioning stone. That's solid. That's stable. That is sure. This room is filled with living stones. We are the house of God. We are alive. Every Bible study is a quarry. Every kid's class in Kid Venture is filled with precious stones, and it is a precious mine. Our leaders are stone masons, chiseling, seeking, and polishing living stones. This is a place filled with living stones. And just as Jesus was the living stone who was rejected, so will we be rejected, mocked, attacked, and even hated. Not because of us, but because of Christ in us. So he goes on to say, he says, you also are like living stones are being built into a precious house to be a holy 
priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the next thing he says that you are. He says you are a holy priesthood. That's a new order. That's a new way of doing things. In the Old Testament, only a select handful of people from a tribe called the Levites could actually go into that temple and talk to God. And once a year, one person would walk in with a sacrifice to honor God to ask for forgiveness for the sins of the nation. And periodically throughout the year, they would go in to seek the power and presence of God, but only a select handful of people could ever go in. Now, here's Peter saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Not only are you a new temple, but you are also a priest. You are a holy priesthood. Peter says you are able to access God on your own. You don't have to go to a priest to talk to God. You don't have to come to me to talk to God. You know what? You can get on your knees. You can get on your face. You can reach out your arms and you have access to God yourself. For if you have built your life on the cornerstone, you are a holy priest. (laughs) You're a priest. You are a minister. You were sent into this world a unique calling on your life. You are a minister. Welcome to the ministry. If you've become a Christian and you've said yes to Jesus, you are a minister. You are a priest. Every one of us. He goes on to say in verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen people. Some translations say generation. A royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. I want to spend a couple minutes on those few things that he says right there. The first thing he says, you are a chosen people. And that is about where we're going. This is about a new direction. He says, you are a chosen people. People, that's plural. Now, I want you to hear this. Americans and American Christianity is so individualistic. We always say, well, how's, well my faith is my business, right? You say that? Why don't you keep your faith personal? Keep it to yourself. We hear that all the time. Don't say something at school. Don't say something at work. Don't say something to your family. Your faith is your deal. Your, my faith is my deal. Not, not if you're part of the kingdom of God. Not if you have built your life on a precious stone. He says, not only are you a priest, but you are a chosen people. You are a people that are to be together, designed to be together. We tend to view faith in terms of our life and our plans. But Peter is calling us to realize that our identity as Christians cannot be separated from the group plan. God has called us to be together. In fact, the word church means to assemble together. It means the assembly, means the gathering of the called ones. And well, I don't need, I don't need you to be the church. Yes, you do. You need somebody else to be the church. Well, I'm part of the body of Christ. You are part of the body of Christ, but you're not part of the church until you assemble together. What if I'm alone? What if I can't go to a church? Well, then somebody needs to come to you. 
That's why we do hospital visitations. That's why I have people go and visit those that are sick and in prison because they can't get to the body, so the body comes to them. We've been called to be together. We are chosen together. We are chosen with a purpose together. We are the people. We are plural. We were meant to be together to affect the world together. And then he goes on to say, you are a royal priesthood. He says, you are a prince, and you are royalty. Man, I... Reminds me of a song. You are royalty. You are a son and daughter of the king with a royal mission and a purpose on earth. Guys, listen, you are sent with the authority of the king. And when you walk into work, you're not just you. Man, you are a royal priesthood built upon the solid foundation of Christ. And you have been sent with the authority of the king. You have the authority of the creator of the universe as his son, as his daughter. You are a prince and a princess in the kingdom of God. You are a royal priesthood. We are royalty, man. Don't look down on yourself. Don't look in the mirror and degrade yourself. You're royalty. You are, man, my my dad always told me I was a princess. You are. In Christ you are. With Jesus as our king, he also says we are a holy nation. And this is about who we are together. This kind of goes back to how much we need each other. My allegiance and my identity is not in my race. My allegiance and my identity is not in my country. My allegiance and my identity is not in my tribe or my family. I live on the solid foundation of Christ. I am a part of of a holy nation of people. And my identity as a follower of Jesus Christ is that I belong to the people of God as a citizen of heaven. And it's time that Christians put Christ over country. God bless America, but America is not the gospel. America is not our saving it's not the, it is a beacon of light to those that will look. But, you know, you know this is a corrupt government. This is a corrupt nation. The governments of the world are corrupt. Our identity is not in a nation, a place, a You know, I am a child of the king. I'm a foreigner here. You know, Peter was writing to people who had a Roman citizenship, and they ran for their life into what is modern-day Turkey today. He lists all those cities in chapter 1. They're all in what would be modern-day Turkey today. It would be Asia Minor then. These are people that were on the run who had no identity or no place to call home. And he says, you got a home. You're a holy nation. You, are, you, you have your citizenship. And it's not with Rome. It's with God. I'm... Um, glad that I am an American citizen, feel blessed and honored to be given this opportunity to live here, but I have a greater mission than the pursuit of happiness. It is the pursuit of God's will that leads my life. And as a citizen, that is what we are. This is greater than USA. This is a global group of citizens. Man, if you've ever been on a mission trip, uh, I've had the opportunity to go all over the world, and uh, I'll walk into a place where uh, we were in the uh, uh, Ukraine, 
which was at the time shortly after the former Soviet Union. And there were a lot of people when we would walk through the villages that would just, in, in, in uh, Russian, would just cuss us out and scream at us because we were American. And these were, you know, uh, former Russian citizens. They had this, this uh, angst towards America. There was still a lot of friction there. But we would go to the churches, and they'd be filled with these Christian uh, Ukrainian men and women, and we would start worshiping God and lifting up our voice. And, man, I felt like I was in the very throne of God because we were citizens together. It was this, I wasn't American and they were Ukrainian. We were citizens of a holy nation. And it's dynamic. When you step out of yourself and realize you are part of a bigger picture of a nation that is holy, you realize how knit we are. You realize this next one, that you are a special possession. In verse 9, he says, you are God's special possession. You are the people of God. This is about what you're worth. This is a new value. Now I've got in my house a few things here, but I've got this, this, uh, this glove, this boxing glove, right? And I, I've got this boxing glove and I had a friend of mine give it to me. And, uh, I, I think it might be valuable, but I've never really, uh, double checked on it. So I've kept it around. Why might it be valuable? I will tell you because on the glove, there is a signature that says to Ted Sylvester Stallone. All right. True thing. It's a real signature. It's on the glove. And uh, during the Rocky Balboa movie, uh, which was like movie like 200, um, where he was an old man, ran a restaurant, and decided to go out of retirement and box again and, and uh, had a surprise inning. Um, uh, it was a little bit more drama oriented. It wasn't like the music video of, uh, of the Mr. T version of uh, Rocky 3 and 4 uh, and the Russian guy. But it's great movies, right? Who doesn't love Rocky? What kind of people are you? All right, well, uh, when the Rocky Balboa came out, they did this campaign to try to get churches there. So they sent out these Bible studies and these DVD clips and, and all these things talking about how this movie is about endurance and about faith and about trusting and uh, in, 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 a, in a call that you have on your life. And, and so these boxes came, some of them with signed Sylvester Stallone boxing gloves, right? So I had a friend of mine who gave me his promo kit, including this boxing glove. Now, it didn't have any letter of authentication, and it says to Ted on it, so I'm, I'm thinking that maybe my friend signed it. I don't know. So I've often kept it thinking, man, this is just a regular glove. But man, when you put a signature on it of somebody that's famous... All of a sudden, this regular, ordinary glove becomes something kind of cool, right? Something special. Well, I was looking around to see if this looks like his signature online, and he signs his name in many different ways. Sometimes Sly, sometimes Sylvester, sometimes with crosses, sometimes with Big Sur. All of them are different on all these gloves, so I don't know what to think. So I don't know if this glove is valuable, but I have inside of it something that is valuable. I have here a baseball that by itself would just be like a 99-cent baseball. But with the signature that's on it, this ball has become worth about $350 to $400. This is Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle uh, signed this the year later he died. Now, this normal, ordinary 99-cent baseball, because somebody famous has signed it, has now become something 
valuable. Now, I have some things in my house that I think are valuable. I have uh, books signed by the authors. I even have a, a book signed by one of the vice presidents. I got to shake his hand. I've got another baseball that's signed by Nolan Ryan. I've got... Um, some, uh, I've got a, a brochure where, uh, with a letter written to me by Bono, pretty cool, uh, of you 2 I have signed CDs from some of my favorite bands. Uh, but, you know, this memorabilia, if you've ever been to, like, the Smithsonian Institute, where, man, they have some of the coolest stuff, right? Man, just regular, everyday items. But because they belong to someone famous, these ordinary items become quite Interesting. They become valuable. The ordinary becomes extraordinary because they're connected to somebody famous. They're significant because they were owned by somebody of value. I want you to hear me this. That's you. God takes ordinary you, 99 cent you, and me, and there's no one more famous than Jesus Christ himself. He takes us. He puts his name on us. He says, you're mine. You are my possession, my special possession. And because we have taken on the name of Christ, we become extraordinary as special possessions of God. We become special, not because of ourself, but because we're connected to someone who's extra special. Jesus Christ, he says this, verse 10, once You are not a people, but now you are the people of God. He says, once you were nobody, but now you're somebody. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, once you were a a person who is headed towards judgment, who is now found forgiveness. If you are his, God has called you by his mercy out of darkness and given you a new family. He has given you a new ownership. You are no longer an orphan in the kingdom. You are his child. You didn't used to belong, but now when God sees you, if you built your life on the foundation of the cornerstone, when God looks at you, he says, mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, and you're mine, and you belong to me, and you're mine, and you're mine. That's when God look, when you look in the mirror and go, God, I don't feel like I belong to anybody. I'm so alone. I'm such a screw up. I make so many mistakes. God, my life is a wreck. God looks at you and says, you're mine. You're mine. Don't talk about yourself that way. You are precious because you are mine. You're holy. You are royalty. You are chosen. You were lost, but now you're found. You were blind, but now you see you're mine. You were once not a people, but now you're mine. Peter tells us when life has got you on the run, when you're unsure of your future, never forget who you are. A reason some of you struggle with sin is because you have an identity crisis. You don't know who you are. Some of you are afraid to step out in faith and to try things that God has put on your heart to do because you have an identity crisis and you don't know who you are. Some of you think that you will never achieve great things for God because you have an identity crisis and you don't know who you are. You are rescued, you are royal, you are forgiven, you are valued, you are called with a purpose. I want to end with reading verse 9 again. He says, you are a chosen people. That's your identity in God. You are a royal 
priesthood. That means you have access to God. You are a holy nation. That means you have purpose with God. You are God's special possession. That means you have value in God. And how do we respond to this? This is what he says. You've been given this so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. His wonderful light in some translations. I want you to write this down. God made you who you are so that you could tell the world who he is. God made you who you are so that you could tell the world who he, who he is. We exist as his advertisement program. We are his HR department. We are to tell of his goodness. We are agents of his on earth. We are his ambassadors. This is a full-time job. This is not a weekend venture. This is not, you're not a Christian part-time. You're not an ambassador part-time. You're not to declare his goodness part-time. This is a full-time. You are a priest full-time. Before you are a construction worker, you are a priest. Before you are a student, you are a priest. Before you are a banker, you are a priest. Before you are a, an office worker or a file shuffler or a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter, you are a priest in Christ. And we are called to declare his glories. The driving purpose of our identity in Christ and with God's people is that we are to let the world know the awesome glories, wonder, and worth of God. To declare his mercy to display his grace, to demonstrate his love. So what's your story? He says to declare how God has saved you from darkness into light. What is your story of rescue? I want you to think about this this week. How did God rescue you? What is your darkness? What is your before Christ? What is your BC? How did God rescue you out of darkness? Maybe your darkness was depression. Maybe your darkness was anxiety. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was addiction. Maybe your darkness was a a self-esteem that was crushed by the weight of what was done to you and to your past. What was your darkness that he has rescued you from? That is what you are to declare. That is your story. So I invite you this week, I want you to do something. This is why I'm alive. We are alive. This is why I breathe. Because we are a living stone to tell of one who is alive. This year, we're going to be going to Haiti. We're going to go to Haiti the first week of July. And I want you to pray to God about going to Haiti with us. And I want you to trust God on this. I want you to pray about hosting a small group. I want you to trust God on that. I want you to pray about plugging into the outreach team. I want you to trust God on that. I want you to pray about working with our little stones in KidVenture. I want you to pray and trust God about that. And I want you to pray about how you will reach out to your friend, your coworker, your neighbor, and your family. And I want you to trust God on that. If you are a follower of Christ and you hear God's challenge you and you wonder, God, can I do this? Yes, because you are his. So Peter tells us how to do this, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. How to declare God's goodness in our life. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have called us your own. God, there are men and women here who are living stones. 
God, we are signed with the very hand of God on our heart. And we are precious to him and precious to those around us. God, I pray that you'd help us to see ourselves through your eyes. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that has not built their life on the foundation of the cornerstone, that today would be the day they begin to trust you with their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.